Welcome to Wealth Made Simple with Shaz, where you'll learn how to master your money through business, property, and tax saving strategies. Your host has collectively helped his clients make tens of millions of pounds in additional profits through these strategic approaches to business. Introducing Shaz Nawaz, an award-winning chartered accountant, property tax expert, entrepreneur, and property investor. I think Andrew might know a bit about what I do, but uh, I, maybe uh, I do myself a, a disservice. I, I don't talk about everything uh, everywhere, and uh, Andrew's probably heard me talk about... Uh, property and tax perhaps, and more property tax than property, I guess. Uh, so uh, my life, I started, uh, the first business I started was in 2003, which seems a long, long time ago now, uh, which was my accountancy practice. Uh, and, and the reason why I started that was because I'd qualified as an accountant. Uh, and lo and behold, that's what a lot of people do. So a dentist qualifies as a dentist and then decides to open up his practice. A lawyer qualifies as a lawyer or a solicitor and she opens up a legal practice. That's just the way it works. I think uh, the problem we have with that is being a qualified person in a particular skill, art, profession, call it what you like, and having the ability to run a business are two very different things. And uh, Jenny kind of alluded or pointed towards that in the sense that when she buys a business, what does she do with it? Which is a, a very good question, Jenny. Uh, and I would suggest you think about that before you buy the business. Because one, once you've bought the business, uh, it's the wrong time to be asking that question. Uh, and then perhaps trying to find the solution uh, at that time might be the wrong time too. So you've got to have a, a very clear plan, but I'll, I'll come on to that later. So I started my accountancy practice in 2003. Then I opened up my second business, which is a credit hire business. Very quickly, I got into property, uh, bought a property uh, in 2004, sold it in 2005. Uh, and I think, uh, the, well, there was two of us, because uh, the accountancy practice started as a, as a partnership. Uh, and we made a £40,000 profit or gain in a year. Oh, this is good. We should, we should do more of this. So the second property we bought, which was our first office, uh, uh, for about £150,000 uh, on one of the local high streets in Peterborough. And then, then the third property, we decided to go to Dubai. That just seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, went there for holiday and so this is a, a nice place to invest uh, so uh, we bought uh, a piece of land there which was going to be uh, the world's biggest theme park bigger than Disney World and anything else you can imagine because if you've been to Dubai or heard about Dubai or looked at Dubai they like doing stuff bigger bit a bit like the Americans but bigger anyhow uh, four or five years later Nothing much happened with that property. Things went very, very slow. In between, obviously, we had uh, 2007, 2008. You know the, the drill with that. So I ended up selling that uh, at a loss. By uh, I think I paid £60,000 for my share. 
uh, and I sold it for about £25,000. So I sold my share to one of the other guys and then I kind of left property to the side. But in between then, I did uh, a bit of what Andrew's doing, which was coaching and consulting. In fact, I kind of started that with, with the accountancy business uh, because uh, I had a keen interest in business. Uh, and I've always felt and thought that the job or role of an accountant is to give people business advice. Uh, they come to us to balance the books and look at the P&L account and balance sheet and work out the tax and tell them how much VAT and PAY and all that kind of stuff they have to pay. That's important, uh, but our job is to do more than that. So I've, I've done over 3,000 business growth consultations now uh, since I, I started. So that now has become a, a separate business in itself. Uh, I then opened up a, a children's day nursery uh, back in 2013. The idea was to scale that up. Uh, and uh, when I initially opened it up, and I hope Jenny, you'll at least find this useful, uh, if not everybody uh, on this uh, Zoom call. When I opened it up, in fact, when I opened up every single business pretty much, uh, the kind of when when you talk to people, but especially for the day nursery, is people said, well, you have never owned a day nursery, you have never worked in a day nursery, uh, you don't, you don't know how day nurseries work. Uh, this is going to be a complete disaster. Uh, don't do it. Uh, that that was the advice. Uh, and just so you know, why I was opening up a day nursery uh, back in two thousand six. Uh, our, our accountancy business was doing pretty well uh, and there was a pub on sale next door to where we were based uh, with a, a decent sized car park, about 18 car park spaces. So we bought the pub because it wasn't doing too well uh, and converted it into offices uh, which worked well. And then in 2009, end of 2009, I bought out my business partner in the accountancy business uh, and then decided I wanted to move premises and have a fresh start. So I, I moved to where I am now, uh, where, where I'm based now, and that place was empty and it was costing uh, me £1,850 a month uh, by way of mortgage and £1,800 a month by way of business rates, so £3,600. And I tried to rent it out to two or three different businesses for one reason or the other. It wasn't happening. The last one that I wanted to rent it, they were going to apply for planning permission. They tried. The council wouldn't give them planning. Uh, so what I did was spoke to the planning department and said, uh, I've had this empty for best part of a year. It's cost me uh, you know, £37,000 uh, or thereabouts. Uh, what would you give planning on? So they indicated that they would give planning uh, for a children's day nursery. So we applied for a children's day nursery and the planning went through. So then the next question in, in, in my mind was, well, who's going to run this? Ah, that was obvious, wasn't it? Of course I'm going to run it. Who else is going to run it? So that's how we started the children's day nursery business. Uh, and uh, I, th I think within the first year, the whole place was full. Uh, so this is your first big takeaway or um, my takeaway to you is that to make a business work, one of the main things you need to understand is marketing. If you, if you can get the marketing right, okay, you can get most of the other stuff right. And I think people skimp a lot on marketing. They don't pay enough attention to it. 
they don't understand it uh, as well. Uh, so the accountant wants to be a better accountant. The dentist wants to be a den better dentist. The lawyer wants to be a better lawyer. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, if I improve my accountancy skills by double, okay, what I am today, I'm not going to get paid double, okay? Nobody in this call here, if they had two accountants, can tell which one's better, generally speaking. You can't tell which one's better. Uh, they might specialize in, in different industries. If you've got two doctors or two physicists, or Andrew, i got no clue which one's a better physicist. I got, honestly, you know. Uh, but, but, so don't, when you do buy your businesses, don't get too engrossed or engulfed in trying to learn okay, the uh, mechanics of that particular business. Teach, treat that business as a business. Uh, and, and that's where you're going to benefit the most. So anyhow, so that uh, nursery was full in a year. Then I fell in love with property again, thanks to Progressive, uh, and did quite a few property deals. Uh, uh, so I won't spend too much time here today talking about the property deals, but I've, I've done some sizable stuff. So I just completed 21 flats in Boston. Sometimes I'll post that in Progressive. I've, I've also got my own uh, property group called Entrust Property Tax. If you want to be a, a member of that, if you're interested in, in property and tax, feel free to join it. Uh, and so we just completed that. Uh, after that, I'm now working on uh, a co commercial conversion for 12 flats, six one-bedroom, six, six two-bedroom. So that's about halfway through. Uh, alongside completing Boston, we completed another development just local to my office here, just a, a two or three minute walk, which is five two bedroom flats or apartments. Uh, so that's ready. After the 12 flat conversions ready, I've then, we're going back to Boston uh, for, and we're just going through a, a full planning application for, for up to 40 houses. So that's pretty big. Alongside that, I'm looking at three or four other deals. Uh, in between that, I'd bought some land in Northeast Lincolnshire uh, and applied for planning for uh, five, six bedroom houses with triple garages that didn't go through because it's a very small village of about 20 houses there. They weren't too keen on somebody uh, or a developer coming in uh, in their backyard, basically. So that, that failed. I then applied for planning for 14 houses the land's 11.8 acres, so it's, it's pretty sizable. That didn't go through. Then I applied for something called, using something called paragraph 79. So this is a house of an exceptional design. Um, the kind of stuff you see on uh, grand designs, ideal homes, that type of stuff. That went to the planning committee, and just before COVID, that went through. Uh, and then COVID hit, and I, yeah, one house, one house. Uh, but it, this is, like when you see it, bing bing, you're like, wow, this is a wow house, really wow, uh, special, yeah. The it's it's a house of an exceptional design under paragraph seventy nine. So if you have land in an isolated location, like a small village or uh, out in the country, uh, then if you can't get planning for uh, anything else you could try and use paragraph 79 but it has to be a house andrew of high uh, you know real exceptional design so when we applied uh, and i'm going off on a tangent but i'll quickly come back because you might find it useful andrew when we applied for the planning 
uh, the planning director said, we need to determine that this is uh, an exceptional design. So I had to pay £5,000, I think it was, to a, an independent body called the Design Council. And they have three independent people sat there uh, who are pretty distinguished in their field. So we had an architect, a well-known architect, uh, a very established landscape uh, consultant or architect, and then a third person, I don't know what, they had some expertise in, in some part of, of planning. So they have to sign it off that this particular house is of high standard and exceptional design. So it's a one-off piece. And if that gets through, then you've got more chances of the planning going through. I went to the design council the first time. They agreed that the house was of an exceptional design, but the landscape wasn't. Then we have to go back to them again. We changed the landscape. Second time, they said the same thing. So we went back to the planning department and said, hold on a moment. We've been there twice. We've given them best part of, I think, £10,000 or thereabouts, plus all the other fees for my consultants. You can see this. They're saying the house is of exceptional design. Let's leave the landscaping for now. Look at the planning application. And in fairness, the planning director agreed that that was a, a sensible thing to do. So we then went ahead and got that planning through. So COVID hit and then I thought, what do I do? Uh, and I just sat back because I, I, I was busy helping people with bounce back loans and the furlough scheme and the uh, uh, C-bills and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then uh, about a week and a half ago, I, I spoke to a, a couple of agents and they've come back and said, that plot of land with planning for one house uh, could sell for 750,000 pounds, which is good, So, I, which is very good. I paid a, 140,000 uh, pounds to buy it, and then I've spent a, a best part of 110,000 uh, pounds on the, the, the two failed planning applications and, and, and then the third one, which went through. Uh, so th that's pretty good. Uh, but so, and I've had, had loads of businesses, buy businesses, some businesses, sell businesses, and uh, I've got five businesses that I run myself. Uh, so let's get on to talking about business, because I think, okay, so I guess the most, so, so the first question is, uh, how do I allocate the time or how do I manage time or call it what you like, which is one of the top three questions I, I get asked all the time. Uh, and I, I guess really, uh, Bing Bing, it's, uh, I think it's Parkinson's law or, or whichever law in, in terms of we fill the time or we fill the space with whatever we have. Uh, so the busier you become, the more focused you become, if that makes sense. So we, we, we could spend a lot of time here just talking about time management and the, the kind of things we do, but everything becomes uh, more scheduled. So phone calls are scheduled. Okay, the amount of time I spend on something is scheduled. The amount of time I allocate on a particular business is more organized and disciplined. So pretty much the whole day is laid out. I've just then got to follow that particular plan. I don't check my emails of my PA. There's that. She only then forwards the emails which I need to look at. That's a major interruption. Social media, I try and keep off away from it as much as I can. That's a major interruption. So there are a lot of time things which are major interruptions. And one of the biggest ones for me really, uh, amongst uh, a few others, was, was I think sometimes we all allow emails uh, to dictate our agenda. And generally speaking, when people are sending you emails, no matter who they are, they're pushing their own agenda onto you. 
So I'm very clear when I start the day, every day, sometimes before I go home, sometimes in the morning, to say, what do I want to achieve today? And I make sure I stick to that, I achieve that before I then start looking at other things and firefighting on behalf of other people. So time management, uh, we, could, we could spend a lot of time on, but it's just being highly, highly, highly focused because I don't have a choice. I, ha I have to do that in order to get stuff done. And then really, uh, and I've, I've got to be give credit where it's due, having the right people uh, uh, in the team who are able to manage all the different areas for me and then report back and kind of we have clear KPIs uh, in terms of where we're heading. Uh, and that enables me to free up my own time uh, because delegating is important. I've struggled with that uh, as much as anybody else has uh, had to, but I've been forced to do more and more of that. Uh, and now pretty much anything that I have to do, the first thing I think is how can I delegate this? So I only ever do uh, stuff that only I can do. Otherwise, other than that, it all gets delegated one way or another. That was your first question. Your second question was what? Sorry, Bing Bing. <laughs> Different ways. Yeah. Different. So, so as your businesses get bigger, you're then going to make more profit and you're going to have more cash flow. Funding becomes easier. Uh, and it's funny, odd, weird, call it what you like. The more money you have or the more cash flow you have, the more that banks want to lend you money and possibly the less that you need it. The less money that you have, the more you need it from the banks, the less likely they are to give it to you, uh, which is kind of crazy to some extent. But we know why that is big. Obviously, they're looking at your track record, safety, security, risk analysis, all that kind of stuff, which you know more about than I do. Uh, so my property deals, generally speaking, are funded. So I buy them cash. Some of them we do joint ventures, but we buy them cash, unencumbered, and then we get a bridging loan to develop the properties and we refinance, pay uh, the funder back, take pull out all of our money out, and depending on how much value we've added, we'll get that back. With my day nursery, which I'm gonna to come to in, in, in a short while, uh, I'm starting off on funding them myself, and from there, within, I've spoken to a couple of banks and I've spoken to a, a couple of private equity firms. So depending on how we perform, I mean, I'm minded to go with the private equity firms uh, because, you know, Bing Bing, they've got deep pockets. So they're going to help us uh, grow quicker than a conventional bank like you know, Lloyd's, Barclays, TSB, uh, HSBC or one of the others. Uh, so yeah, so it, it's a mixture, property, some our money, some other people's money, uh, businesses, generally speaking, uh, it's all of my own money uh, where possible. Uh, and then, which gives you, yeah, because I'm, I, so I, I'm a bit of a, a rebel, I'm a bit of a maverick, so I like to do things my own way. Uh, and if I've got, a bank or somebody else and that's partly maybe why the initial uh, partnership in the accountancy business didn't work for me uh, so uh, if I've got you know a, a bank uh, who've got uh, chains around my uh, legs arms and neck they're gonna hold me back and they're not gonna let me move and they want the management information every single month and you know asking you know this isn't quite right and 
the cash flow isn't where it needs to be, what's going on. Whereas I just like to do stuff and I know in the end I'm going to make it work because we find a way of making it work yeah, every single time. Uh, by not because we're clever, because trial and error testing things, listening, observing, seeing what's going on. Uh, and my second takeaway for you is uh, something which I think everybody should be doing is look at other businesses, unlinked, unrelated, and think about what are they doing and how can I implement that in my business? Okay? Because one of the key problems we have as business owners, and I've come across this way too many times, is everybody thinks their business is different. So a dentist thinks my business is very different to a lawyer, to an accountant. Uh, ain't no business different, by the way. All businesses are the same. The business owner is going to be different. The way they decide to run their business is different. Every business is the same. We all have some form of sales, some form of marketing, some form of operations, some form of HR, some form of finance, and on and on and on. We might not see it like that when we're small, but as we get bigger, those become clearer. Uh, so please do not fall in the trap of, my, well, my business is different. It ain't different at all. Uh, and uh, so, so find those ideas. So, I mean, most of my good ideas really come from different places. Like maybe I see, I, I see an airline doing something good. I see a coffee shop doing something, something good. I see Amazon doing something. I think, how can I implement that in my business? And then we get that conversation moving and going. Uh, uh, and, and that's where our best ideas come from, apart from obviously our team members giving us stuff. Uh, so now we're looking to scale up the day nursery business. Uh, and I'll be looking at quite a few different businesses. And I guess the the, the trap really, uh, sorry, I've not answered your question, Jenny, about coronavirus business interruption loan. So C-Builds is uh, funding uh, offered by the government, government-backed. And basically, those businesses who have been affected by the coronavirus, uh, which is pretty much everybody apart from Zoom and uh, Amazon uh, and a few others, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, are able to apply for that funding uh, and uh, up to £5 million. Uh, and it's, it's not an easy process. It's harder. Uh, and then uh, that's why the Chancellor then introduced the bounce back loan, which is a much smaller amount. Uh, it's uh, up to £50,000, but 25% of your turnover and the banks pretty much were turning that around within 24 to 48 hours, more often than not. So you can get your hands on that money quicker. C-bills will take longer and there's no guarantee in the end. That's what C-bills is. And then you asked another question about what is the group that Chaz runs. So this is the Facebook group called Entrust Property Tax Experts. Uh, that's basically all of my work uh, that I do with property investors uh, and on tax. So I'll just quickly post that in uh, the comments box to make it easier for everybody, and just in case you don't know about that. Uh, and then Bing Bing, where was I? Where was I before I... Uh... So the nursery. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, when you're thinking of buying a business before uh, going into the nurseries, is I think we all get too excited about the upside and we don't pay enough attention to the downside. So make sure you spend a lot of time looking at the upside and the downside. 
and look at all of the things which on the downside. And I think an important question to ask yourself is, if something were to go wrong, are you going to be okay with that? Can you live with yourself? Okay, and are you then going to be able to uh, move forward? And if the answer is no, don't do it. Because what we find all too often is, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, and I want to obviously be as, as open and as, as frank as I can with you, uh, is that I sometimes find a lot of business owners, especially small business owners, unfortunately, sometimes become victim to the experience. Oh, I did that, it didn't quite work. And then they just repeat that story again and again and again. Okay, whether it was they, whether they went bankrupt, I mean, people who usually go bankrupt come back and do really well, uh, or they tried something else which didn't work, and they just allow that particular experience to become their reality going forward. And now we're all different, but if you're going to allow that label, okay, of why things didn't work, if you're going to allow that to become your experience, uh, and you're then the kind of person who's probably more risk averse, think about things very, very, very carefully. Uh, and so once you've looked at the downside uh, and think if this, because you know what, it's more likely things aren't going to go right, by the way. It's less likely things are going to go right. You know, uh, people talk about business plans and I've done loads of business plans. You know, the only thing guaranteed in a business plan is things aren't going to go to plan. All right. Everything else ain't going to, do, do you know what I mean? Uh, that's just hard experience and, and reality. So think about it very, very carefully because uh, uh, sometimes we all get too excited with the idea. So I'll be looking at loads of day nurseries. Uh, and I think one of the mistakes people make is they sometimes look at uh, where can I get a bargain from or where can I get the cheapest thing from? And I can tell you uh, in terms of property and businesses, the clients who've done really well are the ones who, uh, who paid the most for their biggest deals. So the deals where I paid the most money possibly more money than I should have done are the ones where I made back more money than any other deal. Uh, so that might sometimes sound odd or might not compute, uh, but, but, but something's worth more uh, because there, there's more demand for it. Uh, so it, there's, hopefully there's always going to be, not hopefully, but if, if you look after it, nurture it, uh, improve it, there's going to be even more demand for it going forward. Uh, so a quick sideline story for you on that. Uh, I think it was Eisner, uh, who was the CEO of, of uh, Disney, when they bought Marvel. Uh, and uh, they paid a record amount of money. A lot, a lot of money. And people at the time were saying, oh, Eisner's gone crazy, he's nuts, he's mad. He's paid, let's call it a billion dollars. I don't know the number, let's call it a billion dollars. He's paid a billion dollars uh, for Marvel characters. I mean... How many characters do you want? How many characters do you need? Do Disney really need, need more characters? You know, uh, they've got plenty of characters. Uh, and said, this is the end of Disney. Uh, and the first Marvel movie that Disney made, they made all their money back that they paid to buy those characters. And since then, you can imagine how much money Disney had have made from Marvel. So uh, don't fall into the trap of thinking, I want to find really cheap businesses. Because the cheap day nurseries that I'm looking at, I can tell you now, when I'm looking at the costs, and when I'm looking at the rent especially, uh, it, it's not working out. And I'm thinking, well, hold on a moment. Let's, let's just, again, make up an example. 
in fact, let, why make an example? So right now I've got two day nurseries that I'm looking at. One uh, is uh, for, it's got capacity for 55 children. They want 40,000 pounds to 35,000 pounds and the rent's 35,000 uh, pounds. It's empty now because of COVID. So uh, another nursery I'm looking at, they've got capacity for 105 children. They want uh, 200,000 pounds and the rent there is 40,000 pounds. So it doesn't take a scientist or a genius or a physicist in fact, to figure out that the 105 uh, placed nursery is gonna make more money than the 55 placed nursery and the rent's only 5,000 pound more. Yeah, the price is a lot less. It's kind of a fifth of the bigger one, but the potential, okay, to make more money is on the other side. Uh, so I've said, I'm not really interested in the 55 place nursery. I want, I'd rather pay five times as much for the 105 place nursery because the profit's gonna be bigger and the rent's more manageable. Uh, so to always look at the costs uh, and, and see if they work for you, especially the rent, uh, and again, depending on the size of the business, I think uh, uh, a rent, rent is a significant factor for children's day nursery businesses. In the type of businesses you buy, uh, different things will be key factors, but find out, research what those key factors are. Uh, so don't always look for cheap. Uh, you'd rather have one business which is really good than have three which are really crap. So, so, so that's, where, that's where you want to start. And then also think about, and again, this is personal, personal preference. I'm just sharing my personal preference with you. I'm a big fan of duplication and multiplication. So duplication is when we buy a particular business, is can we duplicate everything that we do in it? People talk, call it systems and, and processes, but can we duplicate everything we do in it and make sure it's consistent and can be done uh, every single time uh, in the same way. Alongside that, we then look at multipl multiplication, which basically is, can we now have more of these units? So rather than having one children's day nursery, can we now have 50 children's day nurseries uh, up and down the country or up and down a particular gold mine area or a region? Uh, alongside multiplication, then I'm looking at, okay, if I'm going to go into a business, what do I already know that maybe others don't know or aren't doing, which is going to be able to improve and increase the cash flow in that business, but also the profits in that business, because both of those kind of link to some extent, you ain't gonna have cash flow if you're not making profits. Uh, but the cash flow and the profits, and most importantly, the capital value of that business. I think a lot of people sometimes forget about capital value uh, and uh, so, and then you'll hopefully, especially if you're looking to, to, to scale a business with more than one unit, uh, you're going to have one or two, two or three things which you do really well, or you ought to be doing really well in your business, and then find other businesses in that same sector who aren't doing those things really well. They're probably going to be the ones that are really struggling or they are distressed businesses, and then buy them and then turn them around. That's gonna be a big opportunity for you. That's a massive opportunity for us in the children's day nursery sector. Uh, and we've already agreed one deal. I'm now looking at the two which I've just shared with you and there's more coming in. So by the time we get to Christmas, 
uh, I've got one center now. I'll probably be on four or five. By the time we get to next Christmas 2021, uh, we should be on at least 10 centers, if not 12 to 15. Uh, uh, let me just grab a pen because then I'll just write the questions down uh, next time. Okay, so passion. No, it's fine. Passion is second. Yeah, absolutely. So, so obviously, being an accountant, I would look at the numbers uh, and the market research and what are people uh, out there doing. But luckily for me, what I knew through my own experience and having worked with so many different businesses and having done so many business growth consultations uh, was that just because they stay out there that the margin for a particular business is 21% or 22.5%, I knew we can make that better because we'd done that for many different businesses in very different ways. Uh, we'd gone beyond that and, uh, and quite often what you'll find is the obvious opportunity in a business isn't the real opportunity. There's something else sometimes in there which leads you down a different path uh, and becomes a much bigger opportunity. So I'll give you a very quick example on that. Uh, I had a, a client uh, who had a cash and carry business, uh, turning over about four million pounds uh, before uh, he started working with us. Uh, we've taken that up uh, more than double that. I think best part of twelve million pounds now. And in the next twelve months, he's going to double his turnover from twelve million to twenty-four million pounds. Uh, and he has got a massive car park. Uh, where you can park a lot of cars. Most of that's empty uh, because uh, it just doesn't need that much space. So very quickly we figured out, hold on a moment, you've got all of these people coming to buy goods. If they buy more stuff, they need somewhere to store it. They can't store it anywhere because most of the stuff they're buying are, I mean, these are kind of takeaways, restaurants, those type of customers. Uh, so the, the goods have quite a long shelf life. So why don't we convert the car park into uh, those uh, kind of not mobile units, self-storage units, okay? So you buy those and then we can promote your products, allow your customers to buy more in bulk, then we can rent the self-storage units to them, they can store the goods there, take them as they like. So now they're getting a bigger discount on bulk buying they're paying you a bit more on the self-storage. You're buying more product from your suppliers, so you're going to get a bigger discount anyway, so you can afford to give them discount when they bulk buy. And that added a ginormous, I think he's got 125 odd uh, storage units there now, and he wants to add an, uh, another 75, 50 or 75. That transformed his cash flow and his profits. Now, he'd never think about that. That, because he's obviously looking at other cash and carry businesses and thinking, what are their profit margins and what are they doing and where are they buying cheeseburgers cheap from? Can I buy them cheaper? Okay, which wrapping paper are they using? Shall I buy that too? Which pizza boxes are they buying? I need, I need to have similar pizza boxes. Do you know what I mean? So it's about thinking things, uh, looking from things, having a paradigm shift, which, which I find very often is one of the biggest things. So there's no silver bullet. Uh, but that is one of the biggest things which really takes off for most businesses. And that you've got to test, think about. And again, it's, it's applying what is somebody else doing in their business? And what if I was to do that in my business? What would that do to it? Amazon is one of the best, by the way, because they've got so many different things going on. So if you 
look at and study their business model and see how they're doing stuff you're going to find a lot of things hopefully which you can then uh, simplify and introduce to your business but to come up back to your question yes i did the analysis figured out very low margin very low profit hard work uh, and uh, not a very good bit no serious not a very good not not a very good business sector to be in uh, this is probably going to be a bad business decision but then i knew uh, that uh, if we run it properly make it good uh, then this is going to be something spectacular so we spent uh, i think 150000 pounds just in the garden all right uh, and made it really special so whenever a parent walked in they went to the garden wow cuz they can imagine their child now playing in that garden and if they bring little johnny with them who's 3 years old okay and johnny sees the the, the swings and the slides ah oh, mummy i love this okay mummy says where do i sign but it is true though isn't it mummy says where do i sign cuz johnny loves this place we want them to that's part of how we fill that place very 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 quickly uh so i did the numbers uh bing bing they weren't very good okay we've and so i spoke to some of the people in the in the sector they said to me oh you're going to make a loss you're going to make a loss it ain't going to work all right uh we made a profit every single year and now i'm looking to scale it up i've always wanted to scale it up uh but property came in the way and then uh i enjoyed that journey and that's still carrying on so do the numbers but don't don't think those are the only numbers that exist so if you can do some benchmark reporting uh you'll see there's you got the upper quartile the lower quartile then the medium one there look at those and think what are the what's the upper quartile doing so the average uh, margin is 21% the upper quartile is doing 36% how can i do that coming back to the cash and carry guy he was he had a 9% margin he wouldn't believe for love no money that he couldn't have a higher margin because all of his mates said their margins about 9 10% we doubled it in 12 months to 18%. In the first year we doubled the margin to 18%. That makes sense. So 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 of course do the research, see see what's going on, but don't allow that to dictate how your business is going to perform because you're going to make it 10 times better. I didn't then, but when I bought the nursery, started running my own nursery, uh I subsequently then day nurseries uh came to me and said, "Can you can you work with us?" and help us so after having owned one i've then had clients your second question uh, or, or the second part of that question was was passion and you're right it's split but you know if i so i've got these five different businesses and if i if i said to to you all i'm really passionate about accountancy i'm passionate about coaching and consulting i'm passionate about the credit hire business i'm passionate about the children's day nursery i'm passionate about property you're going to think really bullshit chas Yeah that's a lot of nonsense we don't believe you okay uh that's not true uh so you know i to to so the passion i think has to be something bigger so for me it comes back to your own values and we're not going to spend too much time on that because there's people who 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 talk talk more about that than than i do and know more about it but looking at your own values and thinking you know how am i how am i going to live my own values so for me the my values were entrepreneurship uh helping and supporting other people 
so, so teach, learning and teaching. Uh, and I'm able to do that, so hence why the Children's Day Nursery, hence why the coaching and consulting, uh, hence why I'm here today, hence why all the stuff that I do with Progressive. Uh, so, so find that and then see which sector or sectors that, 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 that your highest value, your highest three values, which sectors they connect you with. And hopefully it's going to be broader than just healthcare, which Andrew was talking about earlier, which by the way is a very good sector to go into. Uh, but you know, you, passion only takes you so far, but your values are going to take, take you further. But I always say to myself, and I've said to my, my team members, is if I wake up one day and think, I don't like this anymore, this is getting really boring, I'm going to stop. And I'll tell you what, if passion was that thing, I'd have stopped 15 years ago. Yeah? But I know somebody make sure you're passionate about it. Well, if you're passionate and you ain't making no money, who's going to pay the bills? So, you know, let's be very pragmatic here because you like to be pragma pragmatic, bing, bing. So, no, you've got to enjoy it. You've got to love it. You've got to love it. But that love doesn't mean you're passionate about that sector as such. You're passionate about the business. You're passionate about the difference it makes. You're passionate about how many lives you change, how many people you touch. There's something else in you, and I don't know what your values are, by the way. They're different for, for different people. You know, so, so, so align those to your business, okay? And hopefully you're always going to be passionate or you're, you're always going to be madly in love with your business because you, you spend more time in your business than, do, than you do anywhere else. So it, it, and so it's got to be something that you're going to enjoy. But you're going to make it enjoyable because you're going to fix the, the, the marketing problems, you're going to fix the pricing problems, you're going to fix the, the profit, you're going to fix the cash flow, the sales, the operations, the finance, the HR, all that stuff that you're going to fix, you're going to enjoy that. And I, I find that's where people's passion really comes out. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so in, in my world, passion is, is uh, overrated. I know people out there who say, if you're not passionate, don't do anything. Uh, well, I am passionate, but I, I, I'm, I'm passionate about the difference I make as opposed to the business I'm in. Yeah, and I, and I never knew that. See, I never knew that, uh, Bing Bing. And then I went to uh, one of John Martini's courses. I think it's the Breakthrough Course, which is uh, a couple of days. Uh, and he's, he spends I don't know, two or three hours uh, on values. He's got a list of, I think, 80 or 100 questions. Uh, and you've got to answer each question in terms of, you know, what you actually do, not what you want to do, what you actually do. And those questions then enable you to come up with your highest values. So, so I went through it and answered stuff as in what I'm actually doing, not what I'd like to do. And the three values that came back, the highest one was entrepreneurship. Then I looked and said, hold on, one, I've got five businesses. Of course it's entrepreneurship. Number two was teaching. Well, look at all the stuff that I'm doing. Of course it's teaching. Number three was learning. And then I looked at my bank account. Well, I've spent this many hundreds of thousands of pounds over the last 17 years on, on learning stuff. And I, st I, I still do, by the way. So of course it is. Uh, so I wasn't too clear on those values. I figured them out later through John D. Martini, uh, but if you can do it earlier, even better. And the third part of your question, Bing Bing? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think we should always create our businesses so that they are ready and able to be sold. 
whether we sell them or not and we turn them into a cash cow and there's money coming in absolutely fine but they should be geared up because see a business which is ready to sell or able to be sold is less likely to rely on you a business which isn't able to be sold is going to rely more on you and that business is never going to serve you well never going to serve you well so if i take three months of work now i can tell you every single business is going to carry on running every single business the only thing that the, the only one that would suffer if that's the right word to use is the pipeline of property projects because i find and find them myself uh, i have a particular preference so that that would be the one that possibly struggles all the others okay would carry on running so you've got to build it as though you're going to sell it whether you sell it or not and you pass it on to your kids nephews nieces grandchildren whoever is a, a different matter but build it as though you are going to sell it so the way we're building the children's aid nursery is it's going to we're going to scale it up pretty quickly uh, and then it's going to be ready to be sold at some point in the future now at that point in the future my needs wants aspirations may change and i might think well hold on a minute i've got this much money coming in every single month this is pretty good it funds a good lifestyle and everything else that i do why do i want to sell it well it's a good question to ask isn't it you want to be in that place to say do i want to sell it or do i not want to sell it well how much is it worth it's worth five million pounds do i want five million pounds what am i going to do with five million pounds am i going to make more money than I'm, what i'm making now with less headache if the answer is no why not carry on doing this for example so you want to put yourself in a place where you, where you can ask those questions and answer those questions where you're not forced to sell them unfortunately which is good for you by the way unfortunately a lot of small business owners are forced to sell because either there's cash flow problems profitability problems they had a particular staff member who's left and they were too reliant on them uh, there's certain changes in the uh, sector which they can't cope with they're at a particular age where they wish to retire something else happens in their life a loved one passes away whatever you know 80 yeah 85 different things yeah that that's right partner disputes so they sell their business but they've they, they'd never planned to sell it they never get it up to sell it so it's never going to be worth what they think it's worth which means you're going to get it for a pretty good price so that's good good for you all but okay so uh in terms of i th- i guess when you're buying uh, a a business i think it it's imp- it's important to take your time never and this is where i see a, a lot of people making a mistake they'll see a particular business thing this is the the, the bargain of the century i'm going to rush and buy this before somebody else buys it i tell you what l- seldom is it ever the bargain of the century by the way So slow the process down. You've got to do your due diligence. Have your key parameters in place first. You know what are you looking for? Uh, the, the the size, the area, the profit profits, the margins, all that kind of stuff, and stick with that as far as you can. Now, as I've already covered, you're going to improve all of those, but because you're already buying an an existing business, have some key rules parameters. Okay, and try your best when, especially with where you are, where you're starting off. Don't deviate. As you get better at it, you can deviate because you'll you'll go with your gut instinct, your experience, uh, and uh, 
uh, that's going to guide you. But at the start, stick with your rules and do not move away from them. Uh, I, I think that's crucial and that's, that's critical. And always do your due diligence. So dig deep. And again, you can go to an, uh, an accountancy firm. Uh, and so so you, you know exactly what you're buying. Because when you're buying, you got to go in there with your uh, eyes open. And the buyer isn't, or the seller isn't always going to tell you uh, the 100% truth, put it that way. So as we dig into the stuff, we're going to find stuff that they kind of forgot to tell you. Or it didn't cross their mind, or they didn't think that was important. And that one piece of information is going to basically deter you from buying the business. But if you don't ask, you don't get, you don't find out, they're under no obligation to tell you. So you've got to slow that process down uh, and make sure that you're asking the right questions to get the right information. Because from your point of view, if the first one goes wrong, then unfortunately, if you're like most people, and I am like most people, by the way, I'm, I'm no different, we might allow the label of that didn't work to become the experience. So we might not ever buy businesses in the future. So be very, very careful uh, and cautious with your first business and take your time. But I, I mean, I've, I've tried to keep this broad brush, bing, bing. We've got about half an hour left. Uh, and what I would really like to do, uh, uh, apart from talking about the services that I offer, I think that's not important. If anybody wants to find me, they'll be able to find me. Uh, Jenny, John and Andrew know exactly where I am. And if not, they, they, there's something called the internet, which I think Andrew is kind of getting used to. So libraries were replaced by the internet, Andrew. Uh, and I know kind of Manchester and Leeds, you're catching up, but you will get there one day. I kid you not, I promise you. Uh, I hope John and Jenny, you're from down south, otherwise I'm in big trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in terms of your first question, uh, this particular client uh, was on uh, a fixed fee. Uh, so I'm not uh, a fan of hourly rates, uh, simply because Andrew, uh, is if you're paying me by the hour, I am more, you're incentivizing me to work slower, so I charge you more. And everybody's gonna swear blind, that doesn't happen. Oh, no, 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 we, it's up, it's, it's everywhere, accountancy, law, okay, uh, all of these businesses who, who charge by the hour, there's no incentive, okay? So I, I, I don't like hourly rates whatsoever. But it's at the same time, Andrew, uh, with hourly rates, is somebody saying to me, you're really good, Chaz. If it takes somebody three hours to figure something out, for example, it's taken you 15 minutes, all right? So you've saved me two, hour, two hours and 45 minutes. I'm going to penalize you for being quicker, better, and faster. Well, usually, if we want something quicker, better, and faster, we have to pay more for it, don't we? Does that make sense? So hourly rates, I, I think, are, are a big no-no. And I've spent a, a lot of time kind of talking to people uh, uh, about why hourly rates don't work. So this particular person was on a, on a uh, fixed fee. Uh, I guess at the time, you know, being honest, is uh, I maybe wasn't brave enough, I'd say, to say, you know what, uh, let's work on uh, a value-based fee. So as I as as I increase your uh, turnover stroke profits, I'll charge you a particular margin or a 
percentage. So uh, both of our goals are aligned. The more you make, the more that I make. Uh, but I, I may be more inclined to do that now, and I have been in recent years uh, compared to at that time. So it's a good question that you ask. Uh, uh, but yeah, at the time, I, if I'm being brutally honest, I, I'd say I didn't have the, the courage to do that just because I thought, I'd thought, well, if, I, if we don't do well, I ain't going to make anything, type of thing. But, but, but you, you can have a hybrid where you discount your, your fee and say, rather than charging you, let's say, 20 grand, for example, I'll charge you 10 grand, but you're then going to pay me a percentage. So at least I'm covering some of my costs, but I'm, I'm not making a profit. My profit comes on payday. Yeah, so we do more of that now than we used to, but I think that's because I'm more confident and we know we can make it work. Uh, and that, that gives the client more confidence. They're paying less cash flow out now, but more later. And they like that because they, they've got more of it, if, if that makes sense. Your second question about source of information, I think, I mean, of, of course, you can go to uh, libraries and uh, when you go to universities, they subscribe to uh, a lot of different uh, organizations, which would cost tens of thousands of pounds, by the way. So I think that that's pretty smart of you to go back to Leeds. Uh, and to, to get that information. Uh, there's a lot available on the internet. Uh, and then you've got Mintel and you've got others who will provide you with a lot of industry specific information. Uh, the Office for National Statistics will give you that information. But I tell you what, I tell you what, better than all of that, better than all of that, in my opinion, yeah, and you've probably heard this before in a, in a different guise, is look at the top performers, top achievers in that industry. And you know what, Andrew? In, in, you know, in proper Mancunian style, my friend, pick up the phone, ring them up, and say, you know what, I'd love to, and you, you're going to do this anyway, I'd love to interview you and hear your story and share that with other people and inspire others. My friend, you're going to sit, you're going to sit with that person for an hour, Andrew, ask them questions, and I can tell you now how having done loads of interviews, okay, the majority, I think pretty much everybody I'd say, uh, they're, they're honest about their successes and their failures. You're going to learn more from that than reading an 84-page report of what KPMG thinks of a particular industry. I mean, KPMG's report's going to be good, by the way, but the real experience of people, you know, uh, at the coalface is going to give you more knowledge uh, then you're going to gain from reading reports. But if you want to read stuff, because you kind of, to some extent, appear the kind of person who's, who's detailed because of your accounting and your physics background, uh, then I don't go spending money on subscribing to all, all these different companies and organizations. There's so much online. There's so much information online. And then you can go into Facebook and you can join groups and go into LinkedIn, ask questions. Uh, that you'll pretty much get that information uh, by spending no money and a bit of time. Even better, outsource it to somebody else. Uh, and I would like, like if you've got a, a PA or VA, if you haven't, uh, then hopefully you can work towards that. Get them to get all that information for you. Uh, that you know. But I always pick up the phone. I can tell you now, pretty much, uh, I've never, ever had anybody say no. I mean, I ain't picked up the phone to call Richard Branson or Alan Sugar either, by the way. Do you know what I mean? But, but I have 
cold people who are hard to get hold of by the way and in one way or another you yeah, pretty much you persevere and you get through to them uh, and they're really helpful and they're really nice and they're good so the interview the interview path i think is going to be really good for you and then from that if you're really brave the, and if they like you you could say hey, do you mind if every now and then i ask you a question i send you an email honestly most people are just only too pleased to help from that they might even like you and say you know what andrew i'll i'll happily mentor you you say to them i'll buy you lunch once every month once every two months once every three months and just we spend an hour together do you mind helping me a lot of people are going to say yes apart from those who are selling coaching consulting services they're not going to say yes. but you're looking at sectors as opposed as opposed to coaches and consultants that's where the real gold and, and the value is in my opinion yeah your sec uh, your your third question about software packages so for the crm we use hubspot now hubspot's very expensive uh and we spend i think it's 1150 pounds a month just on hubspot uh, just to subscribe then i've got one person full time who do just works on hubspot for me uh so but if you you should have a crm there's lots of cheaper alternatives out there uh which you can look at you got zoho you got capsule uh another another decent one which cost you i think 150 pounds or 150 dollars is infusion soft i think uh, bing bing you might be using that uh we used to use that i, f- I found that very complicated uh and there's a reason why it's called confusion soft uh it is it is complicated but don't spend any money my advice you don't spend any money go for something really cheap because a lot of those kind of software providers have a freemium version where if you add up to 100 contacts or you do, or you or you or you have you use a small part of it it's free and then as you get bigger you're then part of their business therefore you're more likely to use them and then you can go to the paid for version okay there's plenty out there by the way uh, so so hubspot's probably not going to be right for you uh, right now uh, just use a, a simple one in terms of accounts i find zero is the best in my opinion uh the second best uh is quickbooks uh, alongside that you're you're a, a chartered management accountant but f- for you uh, jenny and john uh is make sure you build a habit of looking at your figures on a regular basis when i say regular i mean you should be looking at your accounts on a monthly basis without fail without fail uh and track your turnover and, and, and the key numbers every single week so in terms of your sales your marketing your leads your, uh and then have kpis in every single uh department or function so sales you got different kpis marketing you got different kpis uh operations you got different kpis have those kpis and as you grow get people in that department to manage okay uh so that that's exceptionally important number 4 in terms of uh where do i find deals from yeah of course brokers are the conventional method that's one of many what i find really works really well uh is if you've got other professional contacts uh so lawyers accountants bankers those who specialize in that particular industry so i do a lot of work in the in property if somebody's looking for a property deal or, or looking for funding i'm more likely to help them with that than some uh, other accountant who doesn't specialize so that works well uh you've got a lot of people uh who are advertising certain magazines that works well 
some stuff you can find or on Facebook and social media you'll then find independent people who aren't kind of brokers but who will find you specific deals or you could call them brokers possibly they are really good and helping you find deals so a bit like deal sources for example in property so most of my property deals now come through deal sources so they do all the heavy lifting find the stuff Andrew mm, it is it is a business broker I would say is an estate agent uh, so if you look hard enough in most industries you have the kind of small brokers but they don't advertise much they go out there finding you specific deals so we, we could use the word broker very loosely but they're not really brokers they're more acting for you finding you deals uh, so I was I was in fact the, one of the two nurseries I told you about when I went to see that the lady who was the operations director Andrew uh, she used she had a business where she used to help at that time she used to help day nursery owners buy businesses so it's the opposite of a broker if you think about it and she'd help this particular chain buy four or five day nurseries and they said well rather than us coming to you every time we're scaling up why don't you come and work for us and become our, our ops director so she became their ops director they made her an offer she couldn't refuse that's how she ended up so you'll find those kinds of people uh, if you look hard enough online and elsewhere uh, and then and then something which we're doing now and a lot of other businesses do too is get a list of all the the businesses in your sector send them a direct mail package but or a so if you type in list brokers uh, I use a couple uh, who are pretty good so I'm gonna uh, type their name in uh, when the next person asks the question and I'll, and I'll share their details with you uh, but don't send one direct mail send at least three pieces because seldom do you get the response just from the first uh, letter you've got to send a couple of follow-up ones uh, and if possible again I don't know your financial situation but if you can if you're good at writing fine if not find a average copywriter and they'll probably charge you I don't know 500 to a thousand pounds to write you three letters uh, that's money well spent as well and then just spend 100 150 200 whatever you can every week every month depending on how much time you've got available so send those three no response get on the phone start calling them up one by one start having a conversation some of them are going to want to have a conversation some don't some are ready now some are going to be ready later so you've got to have you know uh, enough irons in the fire if that makes sense uh, so so you you got to do the, the heavy lifting you'll find some good deals through that particular avenue and source then what you can do if you wanted to is employ a telemarketing person or, a, or outsource it and then just get them to ring every single business uh, and they usually make between 150 to 250 phone calls for you they'll shortlist some for you I find those methods work well and then at the same time obviously brokers but no one avenue is going to find all your businesses so you've got to find as many as you can so as many same with marketing no one marketing channel uh, is going to get you all the all the customers or clients you want so you've got to have social media you've got to have youtube you've got to have facebook you've got to have a referral strategy you've got to have 
introduce it. You've got to have direct mail. You've possibly got to have a book if you've got a coach or consultant. You've got to have speaking. You've got to have advocates. You've got to have uh, influencers. That makes sense. So you, as the more of those you have in every single segment of your business, the better it's going to be for you. Yeah? So don't, the worst number in business is the number one. Relying on one customer, one employee, okay, one way of making money, all right? All of those is a bad idea. One source of income, bad idea. One bank and only one bank, bad idea. So number one, you want to avoid. The first thing you want to do is how quickly do I get to two of them? Whatever they might be, whether it's the, the employee or the customer or the banks or anything else, yeah? So don't have one source of doing anything. Because one day, one day that, that could, could, could go wrong. Okay, then your fifth answer about accountancy fees. Uh, again, it depends on the deal and, and how much work we need to do. The bigger the deal, the more work that that's required. So there's, there's two ways of doing it. We can either have a fixed fee with a very tight scope or we can have a percentage fee based on the size of the deal. I can tell you from experience, most people go with the percentage uh, because they prefer that. And then linked with that is when we do the due diligence, if we find you certain savings or can help you negotiate savings, we'll have a percentage of the savings. People like that idea too, because they think if you're gonna save me money, if you save me money, you make more, that's fine. Uh, if I'm paying you as a, as a percentage, you're probably more likely to find more stuff. So that so so you've got those two options, uh, and I would. It it yeah no it's not fine. It's different for different deals to be honest with you, depending on the amount of work we need to do, how much transparency there is, how much work your lawyer is going to do, how much work you're going to do. So we pretty much do everything in in between. Some people say I don't want to do anything. Quote that's a a different figure to somebody who says I've got five of these businesses anyway. I've got the process right. I want you to come and just do the basic due diligence. That's going to be a different fee. But I, I can happily quote that to you uh, as and when you find your first business, my friend. No problem whatsoever. Yeah. So, so, so the, the two that I use, Andrew, the list brokers for direct mail uh, is a, a, an organization called listbroker.com. And the second one, which I've used more, is data hyphen broker so data-broker.co.uk uh, and they're very very good very uh, listbroker.com but the one that i've used the most is the second one which is data-broker.co.uk they're very very good but there are lots of list brokers out there uh, and whatever you do don't buy a, an email list and email people. Uh, it's just boring crap. You get bounce backs, all that kind of stuff. Okay, GDPR rubbish. Don't do that. Direct mail so much better. People receive less posts nowadays anyway. And sometimes, you know, if you're in the area, Andrew, go knock the door. Have a chat to people. Yeah, you, you'll, be, you'll be surprised. I mean, people are open to that. So that's, my friend, your five questions answered. I'll move on to you, John. Do you have any questions, my friend? I'd say the first thing you do is when you after you've uh, looked at a business and and you're you think you're going to buy it, uh, and I would say do the due diligence as quickly as you can, well before the SPA, uh, and uh, 
the price is subject to the due diligence. So you can agree the price and say, you've told me 100 grand, for example, I've offered you 90 grand, we've agreed at 95, okay? Subject to everything you've told me, okay, if nothing comes out the woodwork, 95 grand it is. I can assure you, a lot of stuff comes out the woodwork. It ain't gonna be worth 95 grand, my friend. It's probably worth 60,000 pounds. So do that first, then, then we find all the issues, they address the issues, they're not gonna be able to address those issues. Some of those turn into warranties and indemnities in the SPA, okay? Uh, and then your lawyer will ask certain legal questions about title and all that kind of stuff, depending on what you're buying and include the warranties, including the tax warranties. Uh, that's if you're buying a limited company, that's when you have a, an SPA. Uh, and that's a, a share purchase agreement, Jenny and Andrew, just in case if you weren't aware. That's what SPA stands for. Uh, and then they might find some stuff, but we want to do the due diligence before we get to the SPA, John. All right? Uh, and, and, and a good... And you know what? If you find everything that they've said is there, and it's all hunky-dory, then it's worth 95 grand. You've got confidence, it's right. But there's always going to be something. I'm telling you, there's always, there's always stuff uh, there. In terms of KPIs, yeah. It, well, I think to some extent, it matters not who pays, as long as somebody pays, if that makes sense. Uh, but the contingency can't be, if we don't buy, you don't get paid anything, if that makes sense, yeah. So, so, so whether you, so if someone says to me, I can't afford to pay you now or when you give me the report, I'll spread the payment over three months or four months. As long as they tell me up front, we can sort that out. If they tell me once you've done the work, then it's a problem because you'll have signed a, a letter of engagement with terms and, and conditions and we're not going to deviate from that. So again, another lesson is put all of that up front to people when you're doing deals as in these are my non-negotiables or this is where I need help with with things, okay? And never ever deviate or break your non-negotiables, but the other stuff that you need assistance, whether it's cash flow or something else, if you make that obvious upfront, people are more likely to help you, whereas once they've done the work and they think, I can't pay you, can, can I spend the payment over six months? You, it's gonna lead to a, a sour and a bitter relationship, yeah? So so, so best, best to talk about those things upfront. There's lots of different pieces of software, there's lots of accountants who can help you with KPIs uh, and there's fantastic reporting available for people who like numbers, charts, bar graphs, that type of stuff. Uh, so John, that should be the least of your concerns and a good accountant will be able to provide that, that to you on a regular basis uh, above and beyond your management accounts because what I'm finding is more people have an appetite for that type of stuff than they do looking at a profit and loss account and a balance sheet because they find it boring and it's not exciting. I mean, Andrew would love that kind of stuff, by the way, John, but we know he's like an exception. You know, he's one in a in a gazillion. Uh, but most others don't like that kind of stuff. Uh, but really, it's above and beyond that. And bing, bing, we're going to go over time because we're going to have to answer some of Jenny's questions too. So I'm, I hope you're okay with that. Uh, so, so, uh, there's, the real value, John, is in working with somebody who can assist you, support you, ask the right questions, but hold you accountable. And the numbers there just show history or show the performance. 
you know what I mean? So if you, for example, wanted to get fitter, okay, or wanted to run a marathon, how quickly you do it is just a number. How you get to that number is where you need a personal trainer or a coach or a mentor, if that makes sense, yeah? Uh, so uh, you can have your accounts every single month, look at the numbers and they don't give you what you wanted, nothing's going to change. So having working with a, with a good accountant or as Andrew was talking about earlier, having working with a good coach, consultant or mentor, they'll help you interpret the, those numbers. But most importantly, they'll say, okay, what do we want to achieve? Now, what do we need to do in order to get those numbers to where you want them to be? That's the real value. Numbers just keep a score, my friend. That's all they are, yeah? Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's, it's getting the score that you want. Your third question was about multiple. So the bigger the business, so if I've got say, three day nurseries, for example, the, and the industry uh, measure might be three times EBITDA. If I've got 15 day nurseries, which are more systemized, bigger, more cash flow, more profits, more capital value, uh, the EBITDA might be eight times. If I've got 30, it becomes 15 times. If I've got 60, it becomes 30 times. More businesses, pension funds, private equity uh, firms, VCs, those types of businesses are more interested in it because they uh, provide cash flow and there's less risk with them because there's more of them. Okay, so the bigger the business gets, especially through multiplication, numerous sites, uh, the higher uh, the multiple when you're looking to sell. So have have as many as you can. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so really, basically, the capital value is your pension. So you're thinking, I want to create cash flow to pay me and to fund the growth and then and invest some of that in either, either you know, the growth or in other areas. But then also, at the end, there's going to be a, a big payday of six, seven, eight figures, maybe even nine figures, depending on how well you do. Yeah, so 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 that that comes back, Jenny, to those uh, initially. When I said have your rules or your parameters and your non-negotiables. So when I'm looking to buy a day nursery, for example, uh, location is important, and in the, which includes distance from where we are here from 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 Peterborough, so sixty mile radius. Then we're looking at number of children. Okay, can it hold less than 50? We're not interested. There are other other people who are interested and will will buy. Uh, then we're looking at cash flow. Uh, is is this business cash flowing, or does it have the ability to cash flow? So those are the kind of three key ones I look at before I do anything else. Once I've done that, then I'll, what I'll do is I'll go and drive in the area have a look around, do I like it? Is it the kind of place that, that we want? Are, are, would, would parents want to send their children to this particular place? The kind of customer that we're looking for in terms of psychographics, demographics, do they exist in this particular area? Uh, if not, then we're not gonna be able to uh, get those parents to this particular uh, location. It doesn't work for us. So those are the kind of basic things, some of the basic things that you could do based on the business that you're looking to buy. Uh, and uh, I, I, I also look at, obviously, the Ofsted rating. 
So is it good or, or outstanding? Uh, if not, we, we might have some issues here with uh, the quality of uh, education stroke uh, early years provision. So that's quite, a, quite important. Uh, and I also look at occupancy levels. So, you know, if you've got a, a hundred place nursery and it's only, you know, we've got 30 ch children there and that's been the case for the last two years. Well, what, what's there that I'm not seeing? Does that make sense? That's a very important question to ask as well. What might be happening in the business that I'm not seeing? And that's just asking yourself different questions. Uh, and, and with that, for you, John, uh, you're going to have a, a slight problem and I I'd admire what you're looking to do. But if you're working with, if you're asking the other accountant questions, and I know Bing Bing will cover this somewhere, there's a conflict of interest. Because if he's acting for the other person, and this is a big mistake people make when they're buying property as well, by the way, is that they think the estate agent's their friend. Be under no illusion. The estate agent is not your friend. They're being paid by the vendor, the seller. They are under obligation to look after their best interests. If you think the estate agent's your mate, and they might be on the odd occasion if you bought five or ten or fifteen properties, or you or you know them, they might be decent. But 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 their obligation, okay, is to the seller because they it's the person who pays your fees. So if he's he's acting for the seller, which he obviously is, okay, his obligation is to them. He ain't gonna tell you everything, okay? He and, and he shouldn't, by the way. Because otherwise he'd be breaking certain rules and re regulations. Uh, so you can use him as the accountant if you want, but don't ask him questions expecting him to tell you everything transparently and openly. Uh, because if you do that and you later on find out that you were misled, you're going to be disappointed in yourself and disappointed in, in the accountant. So don't put yourself in that situation in the first place. Yeah. Uh, so, so those are, you know, the, the kind of the, some of the things we look for, Jenny, and and that's like the kind of a, a back of a cigarette packet kind of calculation type of thing, if you know what I mean, uh, which then gives me that. Well, I say me, me and my uh, ops director Sarah. It gives us that warm, cozy feeling that yeah, this one probably works. We then go into more detail, go and look at the premises and start looking online. What are the parents saying? Are they on Facebook? What's their website? What, what, what's the feedback? A lot of free stuff you can do uh, without paying anybody, if you've got the time, of course, uh, to get all that information. That then tells us, yes, are we interested or are we not? And then we go. So if, if you're asking them, uh, I would ob obviously you'd want to look at their accounts. Uh, but do a lot of research online about their company, about the people who run the company. You'll find a lot of stuff uh, about them, uh, about the people maybe in their background, to how much you can trust them perhaps. Uh, and if there's nothing, well, a lot of people do a lot of stupid stuff, by the way, uh, and that ends up online. Maybe somebody's been to prison. I'm just saying. I'm not saying that makes them a bad person, by the way. Uh, but that might be a little question mark in your head as in, can I trust them or not? I'm not saying you shouldn't trust them. I'm just giving you an example that comes to my, my, my mind right now. They could have been taken to court because they haven't paid one of their suppliers, for example, okay? That information's out there. That tells you, is this the kind of person who's reliable, honest, transparent, who I can trust? Does that make sense? So that kind of information, then about the business itself. Uh, and then if you've got a, a cleaning business, once you've seen the account, you want to be talking about, okay, uh, how much has this 
business grown over the last three to five years? How many customers have they got? What's the average value of the customer? What's the average lifetime of a, of, of a customer? What kind of products are they selling? How many customers are buying which product? Is there an opportunity to sell other products to these customers? You should be very clear, by the way, on the kind of customer profile you're looking for. Is the, the kind of customer they've got, do they fit in line with the kind of customer that I want? That probably becomes easier once you've got the first business, because before you've got the first one, it's going to be harder for you to get that clarity. You can do, by the way, but you'll, you'll never know if that matches what you're looking to buy. Once you've got the first one, then you'll spend more time on, on getting crystal clarity on the ideal customer profile and spend a lot of time on, on creating that uh, ideal client avatar. Uh, so asking those kind of questions uh, will not cost you any, anything whatsoever. Thanks for listening to Wealth Made Simple. You can follow and contact Shaz on the Facebook pages Entrust Property Tax and The Profits Wizard. You can also find Shaz on LinkedIn, YouTube and Instagram. Alternatively, email him at shaz at aa-accountants.co.uk. Build your wealth by mastering money.